Well, as we come to this part of our worship, let's join our hearts in hearing the Word of God. I want to encourage you to open your Bibles to Isaiah chapter 9. Isaiah chapter 9 for the second of a two-part message on verses 1 through 7. Isaiah 9 verses 1 through 7, one of the great uh, predictive prophetic texts of Scripture about the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. Written some 700 years before the birth of Christ, the prophet Isaiah penned these words, beginning in verse 1 of Isaiah 9. But there will be no gloom for her who was in anguish. In the former time he brought into contempt the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali. But in the latter time he has made glorious the way of the sea, the land beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the nations. The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in a land of deep darkness, on them has light shone. You have multiplied the nation, you have increased its joy. They rejoice before you as with joy at the harvest, as they are glad when they divide the spoil. For the yoke of his burden and the staff for his shoulder, the rod of his oppressor, you have broken as on the day of Midian. For every boot of the tramping warrior in battle tumult and every garment rolled in blood will be burned as fuel for the fire. For, for, to us a child is born. To us a son is given. And the government shall be upon his shoulder and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and of peace there will be no end. On the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. This is the word of the Lord God of heaven and earth. O Lord our God, you who reign over all, you who are king above all, we bow before you and we worship you. And Father, we bend our ears to hear your voice, to hear your word this morning. Would you please come and speak in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, as we saw last week, this text is a word from God through the prophet to his people who in that moment in history were dwelling in darkness. All kinds of dark and ominous circumstances were hovering over them and around them, and this prediction came to them as a word of comfort and blessing to them that a light was coming. Matthew's Gospel, which we as a church studied in recent couple of years, Matthew's Gospel indicates that this text is really about the Christmas coming of Jesus, who is the Messiah, who was the long-predicted light of the world. 
The words of this text are not really for everyone. They they are words for those who are the people of God, those who by faith in God and in His word and work have come to surrender to Him. Notice how verse 6 begins, Unto us a child is born, and a son is given. Believers, we are that us. This is for us, and I'm glad it is, because, brothers and sisters, I know it has been, we all know it has been a hard year for us. It has been a year of darkness with lots of trials. There is a certain kind of sadness, a certain kind of discouragement, of depression, perhaps of near despair that can come near to our hearts. Things have been happening all around us in our world that we may not like, that we may not agree with, that we may question, that we may fear. I know that we cannot see the future and we wonder what's coming next and nobody really knows. And yet what we can know is that God is God and God is on the throne and God has a plan and that plan is going to find its fulfillment in his son. I know as we hear this kind of language, even even the word God that I've just said about a dozen times, I know that Uh, There are times when that word, that this kind of language, can sound rather distant and unreal to us. When we we speak of God, it's not just a three-letter word that somehow describes a a vague abstract. No, this, this God is God. This is the one who actually is, who exists in eternal a triune majesty who stands above and outside the universe and yet is near to us all. Sometimes it's not easy to remember that God is real and God is present and God is alive and active. We need to be reminded that the universe uh, declares the glory of God, the existence and the attributes and the wonder of God, not just in the abstract, but in the real. And this God, who sees us and knows us and hears us and welcomes us and provides for us and rules us and commands us and watches over us and personally keeps us alive, this this God has spoken and He has sent into the world the Messiah, Deliverer, a reigning, ruling King, to come to our rescue. And that's what Isaiah 9 is about. Now as we return to this text last week, you may remember that I said from the text that we needed to see the need for the Messiah, and we saw the titles of the Messiah. This week, coming back to the text, we need to see the kingdom of of the Messiah. And then I'd like to capture the text with a brief quatrain, a, a four line simple poem. It goes like this God's kingdom has begun, He's given us His Son to rule till all is one, and He will get it done. 
God's kingdom has begun. He's given us His Son to rule till all is one, and He will get it done. You can, you can say that along with your family if you are at home right now, or even if you are alone right now. Let's repeat this together. God's kingdom has begun. He's given us His Son to rule till all is one, and He will get it done. Let's, let's expound the text through uh, that little four-line poem this morning. God's kingdom has begun. His kingdom has begun. God's government, His his kingdom rule has begun, and the text tells us has been placed upon the shoulders of the eternal Son of God. The birth, the coming of the King at Christmas was the coming of the kingdom, which is why Jesus said the kingdom of God is at hand. In His coming, the kingdom came. God, of course, has always been King. He has always been sovereign. He has always been the ruler of all. But there is a kingdom that is God's formal, governmental, global answer to Satan's rebel kingdom of darkness and all the corrupt kingdoms of this world. And that formal, governmental, global answer to Satan's kingdom is the kingdom of God made manifest, made known in Jesus Christ. Let it, let's not be fooled by the, by the tender quietness of the first Christmas night. Let's not be fooled by the humble beginnings. Let's not be fooled by traditional Christmas sentimentality and warm fuzzies. Let's, let's realize that Bethlehem was and is the birthplace of the king of the cosmos. What, what happened in Bethlehem the first Christmas night was the turning point of human history. What happened in Bethlehem? Bethlehem was the geographical point, the spot in the cosmos where, where God answered and God countered the kingdom of darkness and of evil. Bethlehem that night was the point if you, if you imagine all the galaxies, and if you imagine God standing above and beyond, transcending all the galaxies, all the universe, and God piercing through the darkness, and with His all-seeing eyes zooming in, further in, further into our galaxy, and then further into our solar system, and then further into our planet, and then further into the Middle East, and then to Israel, and then to Bethlehem, and then to that tiny manger in Bethlehem. There, at that point, there is the point in the cosmos where God intervenes. God steps in and says, my time has come. The kingdom of God has begun. And the kingdom of darkness shall now be defeated by me. God's kingdom has begun. It began in the incarnation of the eternal Son of God, in the baby, in the Christ child of Bethlehem. 
where God in His Son became one of us. It was manifested further in the crucifixion of the eternal Son of God. In His atonement for our sins to deal with the problem of our guilt once and for all time. It then moved to the resurrection of the Son of God. Where He who was crucified as an atonement for our sins was raised from the dead in triumph over sin and triumph over death. And then it moved from the resurrection to the ascension. Christ's triumphant return to glory, the glory that He had enjoyed with the Father for all of eternity. He ascended on high. And then it led to the coronation where this eternal Son of God who humbled Himself and became obedient unto death was highly exalted by the Father, Philippians 2, and given a name that is above every name. Jesus is Lord, and He is Lord of all. And this stunning coming of the kingdom in the incarnation, the crucifixion, the resurrection, the ascension, and the coronation leads John, the writer of Revelation 11, to cry out, the kingdom of this world has become the kingdom of our Lord and of His Christ, and He shall reign forever. Endeavor. The kingdom has begun. God's kingdom has begun. He's given us His Son. He's given us His Son. Verse 6 of Isaiah 9. Unto us a Son is given. And who is this Son? Well, He is the one who shares the very nature and form of God. Who shares God's Nature as the wonderful Counselor, the mighty God, the everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. He is God's eternal Son, begotten but not made. He is, in the words of Hebrews, the radiance of the glory of God, the exact imprint of God's nature. In Him, Paul the Apostle writes in Colossians 3, in Him all the fullness of deity or the Godhead dwells in a body. He is, as John puts it, He was in the beginning. Notice John's word. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God, and the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have beheld His glory full of grace and truth. He is God all-knowing, wonderful Counselor. He is God all-powerful, the mighty God, El Gibor, as we saw last week. He is God eternal, the everlasting Father. He is God, the perfect Prince of peace and all goodness, the author and sustainer of shalom. And this Son is the King in the kingdom of God. God in the flesh to rule in behalf of God for us and with us. God's kingdom has begun. He's given us His Son to rule till all is one. To rule until all is one. There I am saying one W-O-N, not 
O-N-E, but both would work. But here I'm thinking in terms of His rule will continue until all is one. Look at Isaiah 9 and verse 7. Of the increase of His government and of peace, there will be no end. No end in time and no end in space. Of the increase of His government and of peace, there will be no end. It will transcend time. And it will transcend space and territory. On the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore. Of the increase of his government and of peace, there will be no end. The Hebrew word that is translated increase here speaks of abundance, of flourishing, of blessing, of fullness and wholeness of joy. The king is going to rule in abundant blessing until all time and all space and all righteousness and all justice and all peace have been won until he is triumphant over them all and rules through and with them all, both now and forevermore. He is going to rule without end. He is going to rule over every square inch of the cosmos. He is going to rule over all injustice. He is going to rule over all unrighteousness. He is going to rule over all conflict and strife. And He is going to establish and He is going to uphold these From this time forth and forevermore, God's kingdom has begun. He's given us His Son to rule till all is one. A beautiful further expression of this we find over in chapter 11 of Isaiah. Beginning in verse 2, And the Spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him, the spirit of wisdom and understanding, the spirit of counsel and might, the spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord. And his delight shall be in the fear of the Lord. He shall not judge by what his eyes see or decide disputes by what his ears hear, but with righteousness he shall judge the poor and decide with equity for the meek of the earth. And he shall strike the earth with the rod of his mouth and with the breath of his lips. He shall kill the wicked. Righteousness shall be the belt of his waist and faithfulness the belt of his loins. The wolf shall dwell with the lamb and the leopard shall lie down with the young goat and the calf and the lion and the fattened calf together and a little child shall lead them. The cow and the bear shall graze, their young shall lie down together, and the lion shall eat straw like the ox. The nursing child shall play over the hole of the cobra, and the weaned child shall put his hand on the adder's den. They shall not hurt or destroy in all my holy mountain, for the earth shall be full of the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. In that day the root of Jesse, who shall stand as a signal for the peoples, of him shall the nations inquire, and his resting place shall be glorious. What a picture 
of the future reign of Christ that has already begun and is in many ways slowly and it seems at times silently advancing and unfolding. But it is going to come to this great climactic culmination. I was going to say end, but it really won't be a climactic end. It will be a climactic beginning. It will be an eternal state in which all is one. All is W-O-N. One by Christ. All will be O-N-E. One in Christ. United forever. God's kingdom has begun. He's given us His Son to rule till all is one. And finally, God's kingdom has begun. He's given us His Son to rule till all is one. And He will get it done. And He will get it done. Look at verse 7 one more time. Of the increase of His government and of peace, there will be no end. On the throne of David and over His kingdom, to establish it and to uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore. Now notice, the zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. As a very strong way of saying He will get it done. Notice, both who will get it done and what will get it done. First, the who. Who is it that will get it done? The zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. The Lord of hosts. The Lord of all the armies. That's what the word host is referring to. All the armies of heaven and earth, both visible and invisible. He stands as Lord over all the armies that have ever existed. He is the ultimate general. The ultimate one in charge. Every army ultimately bows before Him. He is the Lord of hosts. The Lord Sabaoth, as we sing in the great hymn, A Mighty Fortress is His name. The Lord of hosts is His name. That's who's going to get this done. Now what is going to get this done? The zeal of the Lord of hosts. Zeal is, a, is an old word for passionate action. It's, a, it's an old word for passionate commitment, a holy passion to accomplish something. I guess it's not always holy. It can be a passion in different directions. Zeal is what makes a, a superstar athlete work so hard to win. Zeal is what makes a student strive to be valedictorian. Zeal is what makes a runner train for hours on end for a marathon. Zeal is, is what makes a man in love be utterly devoted to his bride. Zeal is inner passion. It's inner desire, commitment, heart. It's an impassioned commitment. It's an earnest and intense devotion. And we need to know this about the Lord of hosts. He is not passive 
about any of this. He is not detached or indifferent. He is impassioned about His kingdom for our sakes. He is passionate about justice and righteousness and peace. He is zealous for these things. He is zealous for His kingdom. These things move Him and affect Him and inspire Him. So how do we know or how is all to be one and all to get done. Well, it's not just by the Lord of hosts. He is the who who is going to get it all done, but it is an impassioned and committed and refusing to be denied Lord of hosts. It is God who is the zealous God, who is the passionate God, who is fully and forever committed to winning the battle of the eons and making all things right and making all things new. The zeal, the zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. It is um, probably enough to say, God will do this. It's probably enough to say, the Lord of hosts will do this. Or, God omnipotent, all-powerful will do this. But the prophet isn't content with that. He says, the zeal, the zeal of the Lord of hosts. God omnipotent. The zeal of God will do this. God's kingdom has begun. He's given us His Son to rule till all is one. And He will get it done. This is the answer, my brothers, my sisters in faith. This is the answer to all of our aching and lamenting cries these days. For all that ails us, for all that assails us in these days, this is the answer. I need to say this with absolute unqualified certainty. The year 2020 has not been an accident. There hasn't been any pause or delay or interruption or setback or roadblock, but block or satanic countermeasure that in any way has hindered or altered or slowed the advance of the kingdom of God. God's kingdom has begun. He's given us His Son to rule till all is one and He will get it back. He will get it done. And what appears to be setbacks And what appears to be barriers and hindrances and obstacles are not those at all. What appears to be a a setback in the plans and purposes of God is in fact always an advance of the plans and purposes of God. For God in Christ is working all things together for our good and for His glory. God is never set back. He is never surprised. He is never frustrated. God's kingdom has begun. He's given us His Son to rule till all is one 
and he will get it done. As I was meditating on this, the old hymn came to mind as a fitting hymn for us in these days when perhaps when perhaps we're discouraged, when perhaps we're confused. The old hymn, This is my Father's world, oh, let me never forget that though the wrong seems oft so strong, He is the ruler yet. This is my Father's world. The battle is not done. Jesus who died shall be satisfied and earth and heaven be one. God's kingdom has begun. He's given us His Son to rule till all is one and He will get it done. Let's pray. Father, would you please fortify our faith. In this Christmas season, in which we mark in a very real way the coming of the King and the Kingdom, may our hearts be lifted, our faith be strengthened, our hope be increased. Let us know with certainty that You will rule through Your Son until all is one, and You, by Your zeal and omnipotent arm, will get it done. And Father, we will forever sing Your praise when that kingdom comes to earth in its perfection. And we delight in Your presence forever and forever. Amen. I wonder if you have ever bowed the knee to the king. You've perhaps observed many Christmases without ever worshiping the Christ of Christmas. If you if you have never trusted in Christ, you need to realize that you need Jesus. You need Jesus for the forgiveness of your sins. But you also need Jesus as your King and as your Lord to live life in this dark and confusing world. You need to know that there is somebody on the throne and that He is going to rule until all is one. Until all is one. And He is going to rule for you and for all of us who trust in Him. If you have never confessed Jesus as Lord, you can do it right now where you are, in your living room, wherever you are listening to this or watching this. You can bow on your knees before Him. Bend your head and your neck before Him and say, Lord Jesus, be my King and be my Savior. And if you're a believer already, I can't see you right now, um, but there is one who sees you and knows you and loves you and rules in your behalf. May it be that in this Christmas season, we will come and adore him. And now may the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, may the peace of God, may the one who sits on the throne 
Jesus the Messiah. May He rule in our hearts with righteousness and justice and peace and hope. And may the increase of His government and peace know no end. And may it be that until the day when that kingdom is made even more visible in our world, that You will keep us and guard us and watch over us, dear Father. This we pray for Your glory. Amen. Amen.